Hello everyone, I'm Abby Mustafa Madwak, or CEO of AVCA. Great to have you all at AVCA's second VC Summit. I'm really pleased to be joined today uh, by Ham Serenjoji, co-founder and CEO of Chippecash, an African cross-border payments company. Ham, welcome to the AVCA VC Summit. Great to have you with us. Hello, Abby. Thank you so much for having me today. Um, it's a pleasure to be with you all and uh, I'm looking forward to sharing and uh, telling our story a little bit more. Perfect. Thank you. So let's delve right in. I want to start by talking a little bit about your entrepreneurial journey, which has been fascinating. Um, so if we can just start with some reflections from you. After a brief foray working in big tech, you joined forces with Majid to start Chipper Cash in 2018. So Ham, what motivated you to take the plunge to begin your entrepreneurial journey first at a relatively young age, might I add, and after such a short stint in the corporate world? Um, yeah, no, very kind words uh, uh, describing my um, career to this point. Um, but I, I think in, in a nutshell, what really inspired me and what's kind of driven me my whole life to try and do something um, that I felt was important um, was really seeing how my parents, my whole life, run their own businesses. Both my parents were self-employed uh, and sort of never had, you know, quote-unquote, normal job uh, my entire life. And seeing them uh, um, get creative, um, run their own businesses, that left a mark on me. And uh, growing up, I always sort of wanted to do something that I felt was impactful and that I could pursue a vision that I had. And uh, when I met Majid, uh, my co-founder in, in, in college, um, he was similarly um, uh, like-minded to me. And he also wanted to do something um, where he was able to pursue his, his own vision and solve a problem that we thought was important. Um, and um, from the time we were in college to the time that uh, we graduated, we, know we kept thinking about what are the areas that we, we feel that we can uh, be impactful in and contribute meaningfully to. Um, and by the time we graduated, we sort of both were quite aligned on, on, on in, in on the, on the idea that in a couple of years we should try and you know pursue something on our own um and, and that's kind of what led us to doing chipper in 2018 together that's great and it's such a great story um with your co-founder i didn't know that um so that's really good to know so i guess my, my second question just following on from that so i'm hearing that you and your co-founder you decided that you wanted to do something together you wanted to solve a problem so if if you could put yourself back in the shoes pre-2018, what was yeah. the rationale behind Chipper's inception? Yeah. Uh, and what market need were you responding to at the time? Can you talk us through that thought process, the inception process, the whole journey, and how you conceptualize the idea of Chipper? In uh, A big inspiration for Chipper was just our own life experiences. Uh, I mentioned watching my parents run their own businesses growing up, and a big part of that was watching them um, face different challenges. One of the big challenges they faced was sending money with uh, people they were trading with, if they were in Kenya or elsewhere in Africa, and how difficult that was. Um, and that sort of left something in my subconscious about, that's a really hard thing to do. You sort of think about how, you know, like Kenya and Uganda, you know, geographically very close, um, but in terms of, you know, sending money couldn't be farther apart, you know, in terms of, you know, difficulty, cost, inconvenience. And so seeing that, you know, for a long part of my, you know, childhood was definitely something that made me feel like, you know, at some point, you know, 
that'll be uh, an area that someone should try and solve. And if you thought about payments within Africa, um, you know, going back to, you know, the early 2000s and throughout that, uh, um, you know, 2010 and beyond, a lot of the focus had been on remittances and people who send money from diaspora back to Africa. And for a long time, I think we got very good at solving that problem, but no one had sort of addressed the problem around sending money within Africa. So Uganda to Kenya, you know, Kenya to Tanzania, Nigeria to Ghana. And um, Majid and I, both having sort of had the privilege of being educated uh, in the United States, going to Grinnell and, and running into each other there, uh, we brought those insights, those experiences with us to Grinnell. Um, and we kept, kept on thinking about how do we take what we've experienced growing up in Africa and our childhood and, and, and that whole uh, life journey and take what we've learned here and been exposed to, you know, going to school and, and working in the, in the West and how do you sort of marry those two things to build something impactful that can scale and have a, a profound impact on many people? Uh, and I'd go back to Uganda all the time, you know, when I was uh, uh, in the U.S. and when I was living um, uh, in Dublin, Ireland at the time, I was working at Facebook. And every time I'd go back, I would sort of make it a point to get a sense of what's happening on the ground. What are people using to pay each other? What's prevalent today? What are the opportunities and challenges that still remain? Um, and it became very clear to us, you know, during that period that someone had to do something around payments within Africa. Um, that space hadn't been addressed, and we we felt it was a much bigger space than the overall payments coming to Africa, uh, the remittance industry. And so um, a combination of those things, our life's journey experiences, but also just seeing how that shift in payments over the last you know, 10, 20 years didn't really transcend to payments within Africa. It sort of stopped at remittances and that's where all the innovation happened. Um, and, you know, us being the, you know, um, uh, stubborn and, you know, audacious people that we are, we felt that we could try and tackle something so massive and see if we could make a, a positive impact. So we, we sort of set out our sights on, on solving the, the cross-border payment space. Yeah, I tip my hat to you. A big problem indeed you were trying to solve for and you guys have done pretty well in addressing this issue. But I guess... It, my question is, did you anticipate that you would have this success when you first started out? I presume it's impossible to think that a business will be this successful, but I'm just curious, did you anticipate this level of success? I, I think we, we hoped for it, but uh, it'd be, I'd be lying if I said that we anticipated it. Um, if anything, I think given how naive we were at the magnitude of the challenge, in, in hindsight was a, was a blessing in disguise because it's been... The, especially the first year and a half was ridiculously difficult just trying to get something off the ground and convince a lot of people that there's actually an opportunity to solve payments within Africa. Many people didn't subscribe to that premise in the first place. And so we, were, we, we struggled to get traction and people to actually understand that there's a problem that has to be solved here um, and that uh, we are in a place to actually make a meaningful contribution. That was the second part of it that people also didn't subscribe to. And um, in many ways, the difficulty of that task um, was unknown to us until we set off and tried to solve it. Um, um, and, you know, obviously there is, you know, a, 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 there's a percentage of, of your sort of expectation that you attribute to success, which is why you try and do anything. Um, but it was very small. We were more aware of the likelihood that, you know, we might get a little bit, you know, into this journey and have to figure out a way to find and do something else because of how tough it was. Um, and more so that, you know, 
we, we weren't even sure if we were the people that would be able to make a meaningful contribution to this space. Um, but I guess, you know, like I said earlier, you know, we're two very driven, you know, very stubborn people. And so, you know, we don't give up easily. And, uh, you know, we just sort of put one foot in front of the other. And, uh, you know, before we knew it, you know, we had quite a bit of traction and um, the, it was clear that there was something to solve and suddenly doing that area. And uh, ever since then, we've, we've grown quite strongly to what we are today, uh, which is a platform that has over 4 million users, almost 5 million today, um, and, and, and growing quite strongly. Um, but, you know, in all fairness, we did not expect this level of, you know, growth or traction, uh, you know, this fast. And um, even to us, it's, it's definitely come as a pleasant surprise. And I think more so a reflection of how massive uh, the opportunity that we are trying to solve is. It's testament to the tremendous teams and people that we work with every day. The, those are sort of the, 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 the real unsung heroes um, of, of our journey. Okay, fantastic. So, Ham, you touched a little bit on the difficulty in getting people to understand the gravity of the payments issue. And you've also referenced twice the kind of doggedness and resilience of you and um, Majid. So, what other challenges? I want to unpack that a little bit more. What other challenges, apart from just getting people to understand the gravity of this payments vacuum on the continent, did you have to contend with? And what sort of operational growing pains have you had to deal with as you've scaled so quickly? Well, well, how much time do you have? <laughs> Not that long. <laughs> it was, uh, I mean, it's it's a laundry list of, of, of obstacles that had to be overcome and still have to be overcome. Um, when I think in any context, when you're doing something that's truly new and hasn't been done before, you're, you really are starting from, from, from zero. Um, and that means, you know, across the board, you have to be innovative and scrappy about how you're doing things. Um, whether it's you know how to raise capital or how to attract talent so people can be part of your your very uh, audacious and crazy idea um, or how to work with key partners to make sure you can build something that scales um, you know and what I mean by key partners is you know are you able to convince you know strong banking partners and strong telco partners and, and, and regulators about what you're doing that they can all support and be part of of what you're building um, all those things together have to be done at the same time. Um, and, and that creates a very unique challenge in terms of what do you try to solve first? How do you, you know, attribute resources based on what you have and what you need? Um, and for us, in fact, the name, you know, Chipper was in many ways um, an odd to the idea that we're going to chip away at this one day at a time, knowing how massive the problem is. And so we sort of asked ourselves, how do you sort of tackle all these seemingly daunting challenges um, at the same time, um, when you have finite resources. Um, and I think one of the very strong aspects of being in a place where you have finite resources is that it forces you to prioritize ruthlessly. And you very quickly figure out what actually is truly important and what isn't, where you can be creative and where you you, you know you, you have to um, actually incur significant costs. Um, and um, ultimately led us to being in a place where we were able to be creative about how we partnered with people regulators, telcos, how we were able to convince um, uh, very smart and capable people to leave other, you know, more seemingly lucrative um, uh, endeavors and join us in this very risky venture, um, how we're able to, you know, eventually attract capital to be part of um, uh, supporting what we're building um, and everything else that comes, you know, uh, as a function of, of starting a very young company. Okay, I have... 
so many things I want to touch on from what you've said, uh, not least talent. But first, I want to shift gears slightly and talk about the product itself, Chipper Cash, the product. Yeah. And, you know, although you're focused, you know, the company explicitly focuses on uh, has a Pan-African remit, Chipper Cash is headquartered in San Francisco. So I'm curious, what was the rationale behind setting up the company in Silicon Valley in spite of the fact that it's focused on Africa? So we've always had global ambitions, right? Africa is definitely right now the place that we've focused on launching our product and scaling it and and, and growing. But um, actually, as we speak today, Chipper is available to people in the UK, um, where you are right now, and the US as well. Uh, and and the, the the idea is that we want to build a platform that supports people living in Africa and beyond. Um, uh, and so we've never been limited in our um, uh, vision and and, and uh, mission around what we're building to just Africa and its geographical boundaries. Um, we always had global ambitions about what the company could be and the platform that we're building. Um, uh, locating the the headquarters in San Francisco was a function of optimizing for where I needed to be in terms of um, being able to raise capital for the business, being able to um, make key partnerships at the time that were very strategic for us that would have been difficult for me to make elsewhere. Um, and we always sort of told ourselves that we're a very young company. We have everything going against us. Uh, what are the things that we can do to sort of work in our favor? And one of the things that we're very, very keen on early on is we will go and find talent wherever it is. We won't restrict ourselves to just being in one place. And so that meant we hired people all over the world. We had people in parts of Europe, um, parts of Asia, obviously in Africa. We have over 250 employees in Africa. Um, and obviously in the United States as well. And the idea was that we wanted to be an organization that was just distributed and that was strategically placed in locations that would drive key objectives for us, depending on what those roles did. Uh, and one of my key um, uh, responsibilities as a CEO is to make sure that the company is well capitalized, that we are um, liaising and, and, and managing investor relationships very well uh, and able to raise money. And um, uh, that's something that being uh, placed in Silicon Valley um, was something that worked out well for us. Great, thanks for that. You've referenced partnerships quite a few times, and you also mentioned that you know Chip is available in the UK and also in the US. So it must have been complex scaling into these different geos. Um, so what kind of challenges did you encounter while setting up, managing, and scaling Chipper Cash in all these various jurisdictions? I think one of the biggest challenges, especially in a space that's as regulated as ours, is proving that you are you're you know valid or legitimate. Maybe it's a better word. Um, and there's a very high bar uh, with regulators, particularly and unfortunately is the case today when you're dealing with markets uh, like the ones we deal in. A lot of sub-Saharan African countries, unfortunately, are on many lists that you don't want to be on as far as the money movement goes around the world. And so if you're working with a partner in the United States or the United Kingdom, a banking partner, you have to go above and beyond to show that you've done your work on the KYC front, on the AML front, on the compliance front. Um, you've screened all your transactions. You know your customers well. You know the source of funds. Um, you have to go above and beyond to show all those things and the incredible redundancies in place um, before they'll be comfortable to partner with you and have your system integrate with their system. Uh, and that's a costly endeavor. It's something that requires, obviously, capital. And we've invested several millions of dollars in, in our compliance and, and, and legal and risk functions. 
obviously also in technology and product to build out systems and infrastructure that can support and do all, and do all these things. And um, those are very big obstacles that a young company has to be able to overcome if they're trying to partner with reputable and and, and um, very strict regulators in, in, in a lot of the countries that we operate in today outside of Africa. Um, and for us as a company, we try to be strategic about how we approached all of those obstacles and how we were able to get past them. Um, and a key part of that has been able has been the fact that we've been able to raise a, a considerable amount of money, so we've been able to invest aggressively in those areas. But to to be able to raise money requires having traction and growth and having a um, a business that can support the capital that's being raised and that can attract people to want to be part of that journey. And and that required us being thoughtful about where we invested and where we grew our business, um, so we could um, bring on stronger and stronger partners and in many ways legitimize our business to a point that we can work with the best um, and the most reputable financial firms in the world. Yeah, it's a real chicken and egg situation because you need to raise the capital to ensure that you know you have the rigor and the compliance so that you can penetrate the new markets, but you're also a young company with finite resources. So yeah, kudos to you. I think just that whole balancing act, I can imagine is quite challenging for a relatively young company. It really is a chicken and egg um, type situation. <laughs> Um, so I think I want to move to talk about, actually, just my final question on the Chiba product itself. So we've talked about uh, your expansion into different geographies, but I, I want to understand a little bit more how your service and product offering has evolved since you first started. Yeah, absolutely. And that's a good point to discuss because we've talked about cross-border being the entry point at which we launched the company. And today still remains one of our core products, but we've since expanded the company and product offering quite a bit uh, to include um, uh, US fractional stocks. We are, we're now the first and only company licensed to offer US fractional stocks in Uganda, and we expanded that product to more countries. Um, uh, we have a, a card product that we do with Visa, um, so our users we can now issue cards to our users. Um, we have a network API product that we do with uh, different uh, merchants around the continent so they can collect payments for their uh, businesses via our platform. Um, and in a couple of countries that we are operational in now, um, we work closely with the re regulators to see um, ways we can offer products in the crypto realm um, that we think people will find exciting and that they can participate in a safe manner on our platform on. So we've expanded our product offering quite a bit uh, and that's been by design. And, and, and we want to be a company that is intertwined with the fabric of people's financial lives um, living in Africa. And, and the way to do that is to make sure that you're driving value on multiple touch points. Um, there's multiple paradigm shifts happening um, in as far as finance in Africa goes. Um, it's growing incredibly fast as a continent. It's incredibly young from an age perspective. Um, you know, you sort of think about the fact that most people are coming online via a mobile device. And so the aptitude for mobile payments is very high. Um, and also one thing that's, I think, quite new, and I think particularly with this generation, my generation, is that the expectation for products and services is just as high as anywhere else in the world. Right? You, you speak to people, my generation, they expect to have the same level of uh, convenience, of, of sophistication, of quality of financial services that anyone else in the world has. And that's a new thing, which, for example, my parents' generation never had that expectation, and this is as prevalent as, as our current generation does. And so the demand and the need for high quality, world-class, sophisticated financial services is very high. 
And to be a company that can meet that demand and that is in touch with all these multiple paradigm shifts that are happening requires us to invest aggressively in our product roadmap. Uh, and that's led us to have a platform where we have all these multiple products that are very rich and very powerful. And that for each user and each use case, um, drive a lot of value. Um, and so today, you know, people are, you know, using Chipper for multiple things beyond just sending money. And it's sort of become their one-stop financial um, uh, platform. And, and, and that's something that we're very excited to see, uh, the impact it drives, the value it creates. And I think most importantly, the barriers that it unlocks when you think about the fact that, you know, someone, a border border rider in Uganda, I don't know if you know what a border border is, but it's a motorcycle. Uh, a motorcycle rider in Uganda can buy shares in Amazon for as little as a dollar. Um, you know, that is a powerful, powerful wealth creation mechanism that democratizes that product in a way that has never been done before. And if you scale that across an entire continent, you know, how much value can you create? How much can you meaningfully impact quality of life uh, and create opportunities for people to generate and store wealth? Um, that becomes quite exciting. So we want to be a platform that is enabling that across multiple touch points. Interesting. I think it's fascinating what you said about the consumer demand and how now on the continent we have the same demands as you know elsewhere in the world. And for me, why I think that's fascinating is because it's pushing the barriers of innovation for entrepreneurs like yourself to cater mm -hmm. to these you know evolving demands. Absolutely. Um, which is great. And then you're, you're seeing businesses like yours that are multifaceted, multi-product sort of businesses. And I suspect from your perspective, having this kind of multi-product approach must be a great way for you to risk mitigate and also to ensure sustainability of your business and growth, I presume. Absolutely. If you do it well, it's very powerful. Um, and, and I think the challenge for any company is knowing you know, when and when not to do something, right? You don't want to do too much to get distracted, but you also don't want to do too little to, to be of no value. So it's an important balance as with anything in life uh, that must be struck. But you're absolutely right. If you do it well, it's a powerful value driver for the business. Great. I want to shift gears a little bit and talk more about the industry. And, you know, we, we spoke um, just now about consumer demands. And I'm just curious, what do you think, what kind of sectors do you think of the emerging tech sectors that you're most excited about and that you think we should watch out for in the next five to ten years all of them uh <laughs> i think we're at such an interesting place where we're leapfrogging many aspects of life digitally and financially and i think definitely you know when it comes to things around storing of value transmission of value um, creation of wealth, um, those things are going to fundamentally be turned on their head in terms of what's available today and what's going to be available in the next couple of years and the interesting things that people will be able to do and create. Um, uh, we, we see our role in this as allowing people to have the opportunities to do all sorts of creative, of creative and exciting things. Um, it's hard to tell, you know, Africa is a very creative continent um, and um, very diverse in its culture, in its heritage, in so many ways that I think will show up in what's going to be created and what's going to be unlocked as far as value goes in the next 10, 20, 30 years with the tools that are being created and built now. Um, when you think about something like trade, for example, right? if you are you know, a business that is selling you know, exciting or, or beautiful crafts, 
that previously you could only sell via cash in a single location. And now you can sell on a, on a website and collect payments uh, via some digital form across multiple countries. Um, that changes what you can create and how you can impact your immediate community and immediate circle of, of, of networks. Um, and if you multiply that across an entire continent, I think it gets very exciting. Um, but as far as sort of technologies that become particularly, I think, impactful, if you look at geographies like, for example, Asia, uh, and how in the last 10, 20, 30 years, they've actually become leaders in financial products and financial tools and services, um, you actually have more sophisticated use cases uh, as far as these technologies go in China than you might have in Silicon Valley, right? If you go to a restaurant in China and you can order and pay and do everything from just scanning a QR code on your table, um, that's something that you can't even do in you know the fanciest restaurants in Silicon Valley today. And that's an example of how a region can leapfrog an entire you know, realm of technologies. And because of the creativity that comes along with that unlocks new opportunities um, that at scale, I think become very exciting. And I think that the same is true for Africa in many ways. And, and we're starting to see how some of those things will, will, will take shape. I think DeFi is a particularly exciting area uh, as far as cryptocurrency goes and digital assets that I think we're going to see very, very creative um, use cases and, and, and uh, tools being built over the next couple of years. Yeah, I certainly agree with you that economies can kind of leapfrog using technology. And we're seeing that our latest data at Africa shows that uh, I think just over 80% of the deals that we had in 2021 were tech-enabled deals. But I, I, I must talk about the frenzy that is the fintech commotion at the moment and yeah. you know all of the paraphernalia around fintech. So in your view, do you think that there's just a flan, uh, flash pan excitement or do you think that they're actual fundamentals for growth in fintech on the continent going forward like for sustainable growth yeah i think we, i think we've barely scratched the surface i think this is just a drop in the bucket in terms of what you know is left to be done and how much value is left to be created i think obviously fintech has sort of taken the lion's share of deals and capital that's coming to the space um but that's in many ways because we haven't really had um, much progress in that area on a number of fundamental levels. And not because people haven't tried, but because I think there are unique complexities that have come about with scaling workable fintech solutions in Africa. Uh, and some of those obviously are regulatory driven. Some are just cultural and uh, geographically driven. When you think about the fact that we've got 54 different countries, 54 different currencies and you know central banks and cultures and, and things that you have to work with. Whereas most regions, you think about the large regions in the world, have, for the most case, one currency or one regulator. If, if it's North America, it's you know predominantly the dollar. If it's you know Europe, it's predominantly the euro and the European Central Bank. They've done a very good job in homogenizing that uh, economic zone. Obviously, in China and India, you know, India is the UPI has become a big aspect of what's driven. Um, uh, adoption of their digital financial solutions. And so with Africa, we've had the most fragmentation of almost any region. And we're now starting to build technologies that can sort of get around that and start to homogenize um, uh, uh, Africa as a continent from a financial perspective. And I think that's why there's a lot of excitement now. But if you ask me in terms of, is this you know uh, uh, a peak in, in, in this excitement of funding cycle or that sort of thing, I think it's the beginning. I think we're very far away from the peak. 
Um, there's so much more creation of value and I think problems to be solved that has to be done. Um, uh, I tell our teams all the time, we've barely scratched the surface in what we can do. Right? In a world where we do our job well, you know, we'll be able to serve several hundreds of millions of people on our platform. Um, uh, you think about how fast Africa is growing as a continent. Um, you know, today, I think it's officially, you know, one billion people. It very likely is more unofficially. Um, but it's growing so fast that it's going to be a couple of billion people in a couple of years. Um, and it's going to be an incredibly young continent. Most people are going to be below the age of, you know, 35. And they'll all be mobile connected. And they'll all be moving from one country to another with very high migration patterns. Um, in that world, who's going to serve the financial needs of those people? If you think about how much more needs to be done, it's actually quite exciting, but also equally daunting and, and, and particularly you know, overwhelming in the sense of the size of the scale. So I think it's, it's still in its very early days. We obviously, I think, need more development in other areas like health. I've seen a, lot, a few health tech companies that have done a good job. Um, you know, other logistical areas like you know, um, uh, mail delivery and the logistics that come with that. Um, there's a ton more work that has to be done across the board in building core infrastructure that will support at the next level of growth and innovation and development that will come in Africa. So this is just the beginning. We're nowhere near the peak. Interesting. And certainly FinTech and, you know, the kind of buzz around FinTech has managed to attract a lot of global investors to the continent. And what our hope is that some of that capital, we start democratizing access to that capital to some of the other areas of the economy that, that you mentioned, like logistics, agriculture, health as well. But it's interesting to hear that you think we've just scratched the surface and we're not at the peak of the mountain oh, yeah. just yet. You and I should have this conversation again in three years and, and you'll just see how much more growth will have happened between now and then. Um, so I will hold you to that and we will compare <laughs> in three years. <laughs> Uh, great. So, so Han, I want to talk about the unicorn status. So you've been quite outspoken in the past on your disinterest in chasing the unicorn status and maintaining, you also mentioned it you know, during this conversation, just maintaining that your focus remained on having a product that's impactful to users and not an inflated company valuation. But in spite of that, um, you know, although it wasn't your explicit goal, Chipper has reached the coveted unicorn status. Uh, so congratulations on that. My question is, what contributed to this, in your view, what contributed to this rapid ascension to the billion dollar valuation just three years after inception, when you compare it to some of the older continent's unicorns that took you know, 12, 17 years and much longer in general? What do you think contributed to this fast-paced ascension? Yeah, and, and, and it is still true that uh, you know, if you were able to sit in, in our planning meetings um, or, uh, uh, you know, executive leadership team meetings, none of the goals we ever set is we want to be a billion-dollar company. That's never an objective that anyone is working towards. And no one is gold on that. No one is compensated if that's achieved or that kind of thing. Um, and if you ask any of our users, why do you use Chipper? They won't tell you because it's a unicorn. <laughs> You'll never get that answer anywhere. Um, so it's it's important to have a clarity of, of purpose uh, and for the teams that uh, are, are in our company to understand that that's not something that we are striving for. Um, uh, because, you know, if, if it is, then when you achieve it, then what do you do? You know, do you stop? You And so we, we sort of think of that as uh, a sort of a, it's a byproduct of everything else that we do. 
Uh, and, you know, some people can say it's a measurement of progress. Um, and in, in, I'm not saying it's not important. It is important, but it's it, it comes as a result of if we do well in everything else that we want to do. Um, but, you know, to your question around how, you know, in our case, you know, that was achieved in such a short period of time, I think more than anything, it's a reflection of, obviously, you know, what I said earlier about, you know, the unsung heroes in our company, the true unsung heroes in our company, our teams. We have tremendous um, people who are working hard every day to build the best products ever. I, when, when you talk about p- the expectations of this generation of, of Africans around quality of financial products, I fundamentally believe we have some of the highest quality of products of any fintech company in the world. Um, anyone who's used our, our products can, I believe, tell you as much. And so it's that valuation of that you know, um, unicorn status is a reflection of many people working hard to build valuable products. It's a reflection of the growth that we've been able to see so far, which has been incredibly strong. But I think more than anything, it's a reflection of the opportunity um, that we're, we're working in and, and that we've positioned ourselves to be a part of going forward. Um, I think any company um, that does a good job, their valuation at any point in time is always a discount on what they'll ever be in the future. And so, um, you know, the same way that I believe we're nowhere near the peak in, in terms of, you know, the funding and the value of, of capital that's coming to the fintech space, it absolutely is true as well for Chipper. We're nowhere near the peak of what our company can represent from, you know, a value perspective in terms of value created for users, value created for our employees who are part of building uh, what I think can be a very exciting company. Uh, and I think value unlocked for the continent as a whole in terms of us doing our part in, incru- in improving the uh, uh, quality of life and the um, delivery of financial services for people in, in the continent. Um, so, you know, it's obviously very humbling and, and, and I don't take it for granted at all um, that we are a company that has been able to grow at the rate that we've grown and that uh, is now a unicorn. Um, but we try to be clear-eyed about what our objectives are, not lose focus uh, or be excited by um, uh, what is seemingly big number when really in the grand scheme of things, I think um, it, it you know, what we're building against is, you know, significantly much larger. Thanks, Ham. Um, so you do say it's humbling, but I, I can only imagine that on the other side of the coin, there must be a lot of pressure with mm-hmm. this um, unicorn status. And also, to a certain extent, being one of the flag bearers for the continent in general. So do you feel that pressure as an organization? And if so, how do you manage it? There is there is a responsibility that comes with it for sure, and uh, you know we sort of take it in stride. I think when you think about it from the perspective of pressure, I think it's sort of maybe the wrong way of thinking about it. I, I think about it as you know it's a reflection of you know the trust people have placed in us and and what we represent, and um, you know from a pressure perspective, I actually think in some cases I personally have felt more pressure in the business in the earlier days. You know, when it was just major and I and when we were, you know, uh, a couple of months from, you know, financial ruin because we'd burn through all of our savings trying to get the company going. Um, but I do feel a great sense of responsibility now uh, being in a place where we can play a meaningful role in improving people's lives, where we have several hundreds of people that uh, work in the company and that we're responsible for. Um, and obviously where we are a steward of, of you know massive amounts of money that uh, we've been entrusted to allocate and deploy in a manner that we see fit uh, at our discretion. So those things obviously represent a tremendous amount of trust that has been placed in us. And I am someone who actually 
I like and I perform well when people place trust in me and when uh, something uh, needs to be done that um, is of significant responsibility as opposed to um, sort of, you know, shying away from that and feeling like it's a negative thing and that it's something that um, um, uh, represents, you know, uh, extra work or, or, you know, pressure, like I said, being uh, sort of a word with a negative connotation. So I actually, I indulge in that and I, I, I look at that as an opportunity for us to do something meaningful. Many people don't get a chance to, to you know, work on something that they truly love and that they can do on their own terms and execute on a vision that they have. So I view myself as being incredibly fortunate to be in this position, um, as opposed to being someone who's, you know, feeling like I have incredible pressure um, and that it's it's sort of a bad thing. Uh, if anything, I'm, I'm incredibly thankful and um, definitely want to make the most of it and, and um, reward the people who have trusted me with, with, with this immense responsibility. Great. Thank you, Ham. It's been such a pleasure speaking to you. This has been a real tale of focus, tenacity, um, and just growth, really. Um, so thank you for taking the time. Before I let you go, I wanted to close by asking you if you could think of three words just to summarize your opportunity in Africa at the moment, what would they be? Just three words. Um, I would say scale, um, I would say challenging, and you know, challenging isn't a bad word, it's just, I think, a reflection of you need to be thoughtful about what, whatever you do. Um, and I think most of all, I would say, um, you know, it's, this is not one word, but it's maybe a series of words. I'd say it's a it's a it's a once in a lifetime opportunity for people I think like myself who are in, in a position to to be able to make something of it. So um, I, I think you, you talked about what Chipper might represent as a company that has achieved this status. I think if 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 we never do anything else, if 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 we can just inspire you know another set and generation of entrepreneurs to also pursue their dreams and make a difference in their societies, I think would have been very successful as a company. So I think it's it's upon folks like myself and others who have had an opportunity to achieve this level of growth and and, and success and resources to make the most of it, such that uh, we set a good example for all those that will come after us. And uh, I think we'll do even bigger and better things. What a great place to close. Ham, it's been such a pleasure. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me, Abby. Great speaking with you.